Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. It's been said that the Bible is a book that man would not have written if he could, nor could not if he would. And that's certainly true, especially whenever we think about the record pertaining to the great men and women that, uh, that were nearly idolized by some throughout the centuries, and we think about them and uh, the place that they held, the things that they accomplished, and yet when God painted their portrait, as it were, in the Bible, God painted the warts and all. In other words, God doesn't just point out the good factors about them, but he he shows us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today, that's precisely what we see in this story pertaining to Solomon and his sin. I want you to notice here in chapter 11, after all of the good things that has been said about Solomon, all of the great things that Solomon had been used to accomplish for the Lord, the chapter begins by saying, but King Solomon loved many strange women. And verse 3 tells us he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. Verse 4 says, and when he was old, verse 6 says, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Verse 7, he built a high place, that is, uh, a place to worship the false gods. And verse 8 says, Likewise did he for all his strange wives. But then we come to verse 9. Our text this morning says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. What a sad chapter this is. It recalls both the greatness of the opportunity that Solomon had and reminds us of what might have been. It's never enjoyable to read about those who fall. I don't think any Christian would ever take delight in thinking about those that have fallen by the wayside and to think about folks that fail to take advantage of their God-given opportunities, and eventually they reach the place that they are tormented by the thought of what might have been. They look back on their life and reflect on the mistakes that they've made and wonder to themselves, how would things have turned out? How much better it would have been had I never got involved in that. And this story especially is amazing to me that here is a man who is known for his great wisdom and how he could do something so foolish is what we see described here. It's, a, it's, another, it's another case of someone failing at their, at their strongest point. And that's true throughout the Bible. Over and over again, we Think about Abraham and a man who was known for his faith, and yet he failed in, in that very place. And, and, and it's true of every single person. And, and I think it's because of the fact that 
that in that area wherein we are the strongest, we become the weakest because we put our confidence in what we can do instead of what God can do. And this is the last thing that we would expect from a man who is known throughout the world for being wise. And, and, and I don't know about you, but you have to wonder, how is this possible? How is it possible for a man who has ascended to such greatness to fall to such horrible depths? Now, I want you to notice how the chapter begins. That very first word, but, verse 1, but, that tells us that a change is coming. When you read in chapter number 10, you read about, about his greatness, and you read about the glory of his kingdom. But now we read about his departure and his demise. His horrible sin is put on public display for everyone to see. And again, we, we're left scratching our head and thinking to ourselves, well, how is it possible for a man like this to do something like that? His flagrant folly is something that, well, we might expect it from someone that is young, someone that is inexperienced, someone that is foolish. But notice verse 4. This happened when Solomon was old. Does that tell you anything? Well, it tells me something. It tells me that we're never too old to be tempted. Temptation is a struggle that we're going to have to deal with until the day that we die. You'll never get so old or so mature or so spiritual minded that you can reach a place in life that you can let down your guard and, and suppose that you can live above temptation. No, you're going to have to keep dealing with it until they put you in the grave. But it's also noteworthy to me in verse number 10 that God had warned him. In other words, this is not something that just popped up out of thin air, but God had warned him how privileged he was to have this revelation from God warning him about this very thing. By the way, that's not always the case because there are those that have never read the Word of God. There are those in this world that do not have access to God's Word. So certainly Solomon wasn't unaware of what his his duty was he wasn't unaware of the dangers attached to this and certainly he should have listened if you own a copy of God's word understand that you are responsible for everything God requires from you you have no excuse you see uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell uh, the famous preacher from the Dallas area said that this story here this chapter he said, is one of the most astonishing and astounding of all things that I've ever read in the Word of God. And I have to agree. Keep in mind, we're talking about a man who God used to write a good portion of the Bible. And the Bible tells us the Bible was written by holy men of old as they were moved by the Spirit of God. So the Bible is describing him as a holy man that is being led by the Spirit of God to record the Word of God. And now 
How could such a wise man do such a stupid thing? How, how could a good man do something so bad? And make no mistake about it, what he did was terrible, and he paid the price for his vice. Instead of living a long life like Moses, you'll remember that Moses, whenever he gets up to that point that he's able to look over into the promised land and the Bible tells us his eye was not dim. In other words, he still had good eyesight. His faculties uh, remained like a young man, although he is an old man. But now we read here about Solomon, and it describes him as an old man who died at the age of 60. It's amazing how we try to reason away old age. You know, when I was young, I thought, boy, somebody's 60 years old, that's ancient. But whenever I got to 60, you know, I thought, well, I'm not so old. And we all tend to think of that. And now I'm 78, and, uh, and I still like to think, well, you know, I'm not as old as I think I am. And then sometimes, you know, my body reminds me I'm really older than I, than I know I am. And so age is a, is a tricky thing. But here, in contrast to Moses, who did the will of God, the Bible says he did everything that God gave him to do and passed it on to Joshua. But now, here we find in Solomon, the Bible describes him as an old man who dies at the age of 60. But there's more to it than that because in addition to what he did to himself, what he did to his people, what he did to his nation was absolutely awful because when he took the reins of leadership, remember, this is the golden era. This is the time of great blessings during the reign of David when God blessed them so richly and the people prospered. And now those people that were free and flourishing at the beginning of Solomon's reign, are now left in a horrible condition. His compromise was costly for him personally and for his people. The only good thing that comes out of this story is this. It provides a warning for each and every one of us. That's the good thing. Sometimes we learn more from the failure of people than we do from their successes. And I'm hoping this morning as we talk about Solomon's sin that it'll provide for each and every one of us a warning. So I want you to think with me about the things associated with Solomon's sin. I'm talking about things that should get our attention. And the first, which I already mentioned, is the age of Solomon. You know, every age has its problems. We think about young people and talk about uh, how great the peer pressure can be. And by the way, that's a real thing for young people. Uh, I mean, you let the kids all start wearing a certain kind of tennis shoe and all of a sudden everybody, they think they've got to have that or they feel that they've been deprived. Uh, you know, they, they've just got to fit in with the, with the in crowd. That's the way they're thinking and they have their problems and you know, and uh, oh boy, when it comes down to they get a certain age and now they're interested in the opposite sex and, and, and we, we older folks, we dismiss it by saying, well, that's just puppy love. Yeah, but it's real to the puppy. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they think they can't, you know, they break up 
and all of a sudden they feel like, well, I can't live another day. I might as well jump off of a building or something. I just can't go on without her. Well, yeah, you really can. You might be better off, in fact. You know, you never know. So young people have problems. And, and the middle age, we could talk a lot about that. Boy, uh, whenever all of a sudden you realize you're not as young as you used to be and you're headed toward your golden years and so forth. But listen, even when you're old, there are problems associated with that. And it's interesting that God felt it important to remind us that he did this when he was old. In other words, he's not the man that he used to be now. And there are a lot of dangers associated with growing old. And it might be that as he looked back on his life and thought about all of the great success that he had been, it might have made him overconfident. Something happened. I don't know, but something happened when he was older that all of a sudden his life turned in a different direction. But then there's also the matter of the attraction of the world. And with Solomon, it's pretty obvious that the attraction that got his attention was women. Now, with you, it might be something entirely different. We all tend to think of the other person's sin being far worse than our own, don't we? Somebody say, well, you know, I would never be tempted to do what he did or what she did. No, no, it wouldn't. You, you might never be ever tempted to take a drink, but that's because you never acquired a taste for alcohol. You've never been tempted by that. Good. Good. But I'll guarantee you there's some area of your life wherein you are subject to being tempted. It, that besetting sin, that thing that clings to you throughout the years of your life, there's always that something trying to draw you away from God. The world, the flesh, and the devil provides attractions that divert our attention away from God and our responsibility to Him. So there's the age factor. There are the attractions. But then look in verse number 4 we see the, his association with the ungodly. Verse 4 says, His wives turned away his heart. His wives turned away his heart. So many times over the years I've seen young couples, it might be that some girl would start dating some fellow. It might be because he was the quarterback of the football team or he was popular in high school and all of a sudden they started dating him. Although he, he was an unbeliever, he cared nothing about the things of God and usually they reasoned it out by saying, well, I know, I know he's not a Christian, but, but I'll be able to win him. I'll be able to change him. Let me remind our young people, whatever you do, don't ever make that mistake. Amen. Don't ever fall for that lie. The Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And by communication, that's not talking about your talk. It's not talking about a conversation. The communications there has to do with your interaction, your relation with other people. And he says that it corrupts good manners. And both the number and the nature of his wives was a serious problem. There should have been only one, and he has 700. So that's a problem. A glutton for punishment. 
but it's also the nature of the relationship. These women were unbelievers. These women worshipped heathen gods, and yet, contrary to what God clearly teaches in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he went ahead and followed the desire of his flesh instead of the demands of the Scriptures. The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be ye a separate people. That's true of Christians. Look, we don't separate ourselves from the people of this world in order to project a holier-than-thou image. That's not the idea. It's not that we think we're better than they are at all. It's because we are commanded to draw that line of separation between us and the world and to have no fellowship with those. But that doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you mistreat them. It means that you have to limit your relationship with people that are unbelievers. As a Christian ought to marry a Christian. And if they ought to marry a Christian, then a Christian girl ought to date a Christian boy. And if we, if we ignore those guidelines, we're going to end up in trouble. Your association with others makes a big difference. There are times that people, and I've seen it over and over again, there'll be certain church members that'll get involved with, it might be neighbors, it might be people outside the church that have no interest whatsoever in spiritual things. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're rubbing elbows with them, going places with them, and they develop a strong friendship with them to the point that that association draws them away from the Lord's church and away from the Word of God, and all of a sudden, you find them back out in the world. Be careful about who you associate with. Your best friends ought to be believers they ought to be members of the church where you are a member, by the way. And so this association factor is something that ought to get our attention because after all, remember, this is a warning to all of us to avoid Solomon's sin, even though the nature of the sin on our part could be entirely different. But then I want you to notice also there was the attitude of his heart. If I counted right, the word heart is used six times in these first nine verses. In other words, God is wanting us to understand that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And that's where it always starts. And that's why Solomon himself reminds us in the book of Proverbs that we are to keep our heart. That is, we are to set a guard up on our heart because everything comes through the heart. And when it's wrong, all of a sudden the life is going to be different. It's going to be worse. Think about it. Here is the wisest man in the world. The wealthiest man in the world. A man who is well known throughout the world and yet he walked away from the will of God. The very same eyes that looked upon the Lord twice. In other words, he had these two special revelations from God where God revealed himself to him. Those same eyes that looked upon the Lord are now looking upon the ladies. 
The same hands that were responsible for building the temple are now building these false altars for false gods. How does it happen? Well, it happens here, according to these first four verses, his heart. It was his heart that was turned away from God. And where the heart goes, the life follows. And then we see the abominations. Obviously, his sin was in having 700 wives and 300 concubines. His sin consisted of building up these altars to false gods. Verse 9 says here that he burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. These are horrible abominations. But they're not the only ones. It would be an interesting project for you to go through the Bible and take a Strong's Concordance or something like that and look up the word abomination or abominations and see all of the things that are described as being abominations in the sight of God. So before you break your arm patting yourself on your back because you haven't committed the sin that Solomon did, please understand that your abomination might be something entirely different but just as serious, just as serious. Abominations in the sight of God. How dare we Offer up ourselves, our hands, our feet, our ears, our eyes, to offer up ourselves to do something that is so offensive to a holy God. And that brings us to verse 9 here where we see the next factor has to do with the anger of God. It says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. That shows us the seriousness of his sins. The seriousness of his sins. If Listen, if you do what angers God, you've got a problem. If God isn't pleased with what we do, we are in serious trouble. And remember, God is love, not anger. He's love, not anger. You need to remember that because God is not angry because there is some flaw in his character. It's, he's not angry because he just loses control because things didn't go his way. God is angry because of what we do. Now I want you to think about this. It's not just what we do in opposition to what he has declared and demanded. It's what we do to ourselves. Why does God care so much? about the sin in your life because God cares about you. Amen. When God says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. Amen. He imposes those restrictions and those responsibilities upon us because God is more concerned about us than we are about ourselves. And it angers God. When we disobey Him and we bring injury upon ourselves, and we do, when we begin in verse 11 and look down through the remainder of the chapter, we see the effects of Solomon's sin. And I've got to tell you, I don't even have words to describe the awful effects of sin. 
didn't just affect him. The Lord said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Oh, I'm going to wait a while for David's sake, but you're going to lose your kingdom. Not only are you going to lose your kingdom, the people are going to suffer as a result of it. If, if you could just get people to see not just what they're doing to themselves, but what they do to others when they choose to sin against God. How horrible it is to see children suffering as a result of the sins of the parents. You know, mom and dad will get all, all bent out of shape about something in the church and consequently somebody didn't shake their hand and they're upset and they leave the church without ever considering the effect it might have on those children. God help us to think about how our behavior affects other people. But it's too late for that. You look and see here that he lost the kingdom and one enemy after another rose up against Solomon and his people. We're talking about suffering and death as a result of Solomon's sin. Somebody says, well, what I do is nobody's business but mine. Well, that's where you're wrong. It's not just your business. It's everybody's business because they are affected by what, what you do. Amen. I remember several years ago sitting in the kitchen with a family and uh, the girl had gone astray. These were all but, the, all but the husband were members of the church. And this girl had gotten involved in things that she shouldn't have been involved in. And it got down to the point, so it was so public, so serious, that we were going to have to do something about it by way of church discipline. Before we did that, we went over. I took a deacon with me, and we went over, and we sat down with the family and tried to impress upon them how serious this sin was and what this girl was doing to herself and the shame and reproach she was bringing upon the Lord's church. And the mother, you could see the fire coming out of her eyes, looked at me and said, I'll have you to know what my daughter does is nobody's business at that church. And she was a member there. The husband, who was unsaved, by the way, said, well, preacher, he said, I, I understand what you mean because I'd explained from the Bible. I understand. Here's an unsaved man that understood something that this professing Christian evidently didn't even have a clue. And I said as lovingly, as kindly as I knew how, no, that's where you're wrong because the day you become a member of that church, you become responsible to that church because what you do as a member reflects upon that church and that reflects upon Jesus. That makes a big difference. The effects of his sin. But there's one more thing I want you to notice found in verse number 9. The last part of verse 9, I want you to notice the accounting. It says here that the Lord had appeared unto him twice. Why would God tell us that? Why would God even mention that? What has that got to do with, with anything? It's because God wants us to know that he counts our encounters with him. He counts our encounters with him. 
I don't know that there was any other person at that time in history that could say that God had appeared, as it were, to them even one time. And God says, I appeared unto him twice. You see, God is taking note of our privileges and our opportunities, and God holds us accountable. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. In other words, some people are more accountable than other people. Do you know there's different degrees of suffering in hell? There are different degrees of rewards in heaven. And it's because of this matter of privilege, this matter of opportunity. And what Solomon did was an aggravation of his sin. We, we, we have a lot of cops that are members of this church. And they'll tell you there are different degrees of crimes. You know, there's one that is robbery, but then there is aggravated robbery or whatever the crime might be. Aggravated. That's, that means worse than just the other. This is an aggravated sin. He has no excuse. God is giving this wonderful privilege of a special revelation, a manifestation of Himself. And even after these glorious blessings, Solomon, when he was old and should have known better, turned away from God. It's no wonder God was angry. It's no wonder. What do you expect? Think about it. What do you expect? What do you expect from a holy God who is offended by our sinfulness? What do you expect? God is not going to act contrary to His nature. And His main attribute is holiness. It's not love. That describes, you know, the nature of God, but that's not His chief attribute. It's holiness. Holy, 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 the Bible declares. And our sin is an offense to God's holiness. If anything in the world ought to get our attention, it's God's anger. Whatever you do, don't take that lightly. And make no mistake about it, our sin angers God. It grieves God, naturally. The word grieve is a love word. And the Bible speaks about that whenever we offend God by way of, of ignoring the Holy Spirit, that it grieves the heart of God. If God didn't care, God wouldn't care. It's because God loves us that God cares. It's because God is holy that God is angered when we sin. God cannot ignore sin. And that's why I often say no one ever sins successfully. Oh, you look at somebody and you think that, uh, boy, I, I just don't understand how they keep, they keep committing that sin over and over and over and they get by with it. No, no, no. They're not getting by with it. There's a payday someday. There will come a time of accounting before God. Let me tell you why this story means so much to me. It touches my heart. And I say that because the days of Solomon are long gone. There's nothing anyone can do about what happened back then. 
But just maybe there's something that I can do today that'll help someone avoid what Solomon did. I'm interested in this story because I know people who I care about deeply in one way or another. They make the same mistake that Solomon made. The nature of their sin is entirely different, but it's awful nevertheless, and it will destroy them, and it will hurt them. I could call out names of people that, that I care about, that I know, and no doubt they have the idea that nobody's thinking about them, nobody really cares what they do, but I'll tell you, they have two pastors that are very much concerned about what they do. And whether they know it or not, we're thinking about them. They think they can just drop out of church and go their merry way without a word. I want you to know you're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. You're leaving behind people that are grieving. Grieving because they love you and they care about you. And they see exactly what's going on in your life. Sometimes even before you become aware of it, they see it about to happen. And as a pastor, you just, you cannot look upon something like that without it ripping your heart out. Why, oh, why, oh, why are they doing that? Somebody wonders, well, why, why we preach against sin? That's exactly why we preach against sin. Because it is the very worst enemy that you could possibly have. And I want you to know that allowance is not the same as approval. God could have stopped Solomon in his tracks. He could have taken his life the moment all of that started. And God let it happen. Just because God is allowing you to do what you're doing doesn't mean God is approving of it. And what you're doing is something that in the end is going to be costly to yourself and costly to others. I find it amazing that Solomon forgot his own counsel. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, going to wrap it all up in one ball of wax. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God... And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Notice he said, fear God. Why? Because God is holy. And the fact that he is holy causes him to be angered at our sins. Doesn't, doesn't it just rip your heart out whenever someone that you love, someone you care about, when you know they're angry at you? Boy, oh boy, let me tell you, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. That'll just ruin your day, won't it? It'll take away your night's sleep when your husband or your wife is angry at you for whatever reason, you know. It just, it just takes away the joy and the peace. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me tell you, if God is angry, then you've got something to be worried about. Amen. You don't have to commit the same identical sin that Solomon committed. It can be any sin whatsoever in your life. It, listen, it might not be the sin of commission. 
In other words, it might not be what you're doing that is so horrible and terrible that it's going to prove costly. It just might be the sin of omission. Not doing something God has commanded that you do. I can't examine your heart this morning. I have a hard enough time trying to deal with my own. But I hope and pray that you'll look into the depths of your heart. I pray you'll ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you to see anything and everything in your heart that displeases God. And get it all, drag that ugly monster right out into the light and confess your sin before God. The Bible says He's just. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Isn't that wonderful? As horrible, as terrible as your sin is, God said, look, I'm willing to forgive you. But as long as you hide it, as long as you deny it, you're just going to get hurt. Don't do it. Don't do it. Our Father, this morning, how we thank you for this stern warning. The warning of a man who we would suspect that had never done anything wrong. A man who would always have his best interest at heart. A man who would never do anything to inflict pain upon his people. A man who would surely, based upon all of his writings, would never want to do anything to offend you. And yet he fell flat on his face. God, may this, may this be a warning to each and every one of us. That regardless of our age, regardless of our situation, we are all capable of committing some horrible sin that would do terrible damage. And Lord, I pray we'll each one search our hearts to and that we'll bring it before your throne of grace and receive forgiveness and leave here today knowing that all of our sin is under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we beg it in his name.